0: I've been going through Zechariah once again, just to, to read through over and over and over again. And I thought because we have been separated for so long, we'd give you a little bit of reminder of uh, where we have been. I think that's a good idea, don't you? It's always a good idea to be reminded of where you've been. And so I, I just want to take you back to Zechariah chapter 1. I'm not, not going to preach the whole message there. But Zechariah comes out of the chute, and he starts right away speaking to the people of God. And he's saying to them, and he's calling them to return. It's not just to return in the sense of, you know, come back to anchored. No, he's saying return in the sense of repent. They were going in the wrong direction. He's saying come in the right direction. Repent. He's calling them to repent. There's a need to repent. There's always a need to repent. I don't care how long you're a Christian. You better still be repenting of your sins, and that's what he's saying here. They needed to turn from their evil. They were in the midst of evil. They had evil within the community there, and they had evil within uh, the people of God that were there. And they needed to return, return to the Lord of Hosts. I got to tell you, hearing that last song there, we have a good God. Think about it, folks. Even after you sin, He still takes you back. He still takes you back. Over and over and over and over again. It's an incredible, incredible God that we serve. But in verse 3, he says therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me that I may return to you. In other words, there's a separation that's happened because of their sin, because of their iniquity, because of that transgression. He, he separated himself from them. You look at, he, back at uh Uh, uh, 13, I think it is, that he can't even look upon sin. That's our God. He doesn't want to see sin because he knows what that sin created. That sin brought about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, and and that's his beloved son. He, He knows what that sin does. Evil was to be put away. The community that was there, they needed to put away that sin, and they needed to begin to embrace righteousness, embrace righteousness, Zachariah then begins to have these visions, and we went through what visions are and and how it relates to the Old Testament people of God. All these visions happen in one night. I know it's taken me since uh, last year to preach through this, but these visions actually did happen in one night. They all happened the same night. The vision one, the first vision happens in verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 7 through se- uh, 17. It's a vision about the sovereign rule of God over his creation. He owns it all. There isn't any area where he doesn't own. He owns it all. It's all his. Send out horses. They have riders. They're dispatched uh, uh, along the, the whole border of the earth. And they report back to God all that they saw. They, they were able to see things there, and they, and they come back to God and they tell him what they've seen. The earth, everywhere, was found to be peaceful. It was all to be peaceful, except in the promised land. There was turmoil there. It was under turmoil. There was lots of bickering and fighting and, and, and just terrible uh, iniquity going on. Yet God, even in the midst of that, is telling his people, I still choose you. I did not end my covenant. I still want to forgive you. Uh, the Hebrew word that's used there is hased. It's, it's a loving kindness. goes on and on and on, over and over and over again. Vision 2, we see in the same chapter in verses 18 through 21, demonstrates again the sovereignty of God. He wants his people to know, I am in charge. There is no one else who's in charge. Even though the nations stand in opposition to God, he still has his way. He's going to have his way. Folks, you can't trick God. You can't bamboozle God in any way. Eventually, eventually for those who continue in sin, eventually if you are a hater of God, the wrath of God is going to come down on you because you're his enemy. You're his enemy, and he does not let you get away with it. Vision 3, we see in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Israel is to face its future with confidence. Israel is to have confidence. And frankly, folks, they should have confidence today because if God said it, he's going to do it. God goes before his obedient children, and he takes care of things I love John 14 where he says he's building a home for us. I've seen and done too many more funerals in these last days here, and I continue to do those funerals, and I know some of them are going to be in heaven. God is preparing that place for us. God goes before his obedient children. God loves his children in spite of themselves, in spite of themselves. Israel's future is promising. He has a promise there for him. You see it in 2.4. He says this, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. It's going to be so large, it's not going to need the walls. It's going to be so expansive. That's what you have to be looking at. What? No walls? Folks, this is an age and a day where you needed a wall to protect you. And otherwise, you were invaded. People came across your border and, and they began to take over. No? He says, no, we're going to have a, enough people. There's going to be enough that will be expansive. Prosperity will come to God's people. Protection will come to God's people. Vision number four we see in chapter 3, 1 through 10. In this vision, Joshua the high priest is portrayed as sin. Folks, when I first preached through this, I said it was the most disgusting sin that I couldn't even say the words here of what it means in Hebrew. And I still can't say those words. Disgusting, filthy, uh, totally abhorrent sin. The filthiest of sin that you could possibly have. Yet God still has mercy. This is the, the picture that he's trying to give there. Is that God has mercy and he embraces because of his grace. He embraces Joshua. He forgives Joshua. That's a picture for us folks. Because whatever sin you have, it's filthy. He still embraces you if you're a believer. That's what he does. He calls for sinners to continue to repent, to return, to come back to him over and over and over again. Vision 5. We see in chapter four, one through fourteen, the vision of Zechariah shows the Old Testament people of God and us as well that God is sovereignly in charge of the affairs of life in every aspect of life. I, I got to tell you, I think it down to the, the smallest things, and you probably have heard me say this before, to the balls and strikes in a baseball game. I'm serious, down to the smallest of things, God is in charge of the smallest affairs. I don't think he cares about who wins, except for one team, but um, we we won't say that here. (laughs) He is the one and only king. He brings his people out of captivity, and he builds the temple. That's what God is saying here. God's Holy Spirit is given to effect that change in our lives. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no change. As much as you want to reform yourself, as much as you want to clean your act up, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be able to do it. You're going to continue to fall back. You're going to continue to do the old things. So the first five visions are the visions of hope, folks. That's what we were supposed to see. And that hope is for Israel because we want to put it in the context of where it is. It's the hope for Israel, but it gives us, as New Testament believers, a picture of our God, of how great he is. These are wonderful promises. These are promises of restoration. These are promises of blessing. Promises that are yet to be fulfilled completely. For the most part, they're not fulfilled. Yes, Israel is in the land. But this is not the Israel that we're talking about. This is a nation. This is not God's people. Yes, there are truly believers there. And, and I have met some. And, um, but these are not truly the people of God's choice. This vision, folks, indicates that Joshua will bring destruction on the ungodly. That's what this vision does. Folks, there is wickedness that's going on. These visions that we will be seeing here, this next one that we're going to be looking at, is that there's going to be destruction. There's still a call to repent. I, I stand here as your pastor. I stand here as one of the shepherds of this group, one of the elders. And that call of repentance is still there. If you are locked into some kind of sin, if you are participating in some kind of iniquity, return, return, give it up, give it up. Don't do it anymore. Have somebody help you. Continue to put the old man off and put on the new man. That's what we need to be doing. This repentance involves returning from the exile. Let's look at uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. This repentance is going to be that uh, we are returning from the exile, at least for the Old Testament folks. And we see there in verse 6, it says, Ho there, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. That means leave Babylon because they were in Babylon, for I have dispersed you as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Oh, Zion, escape. You are living with the daughter of Babylon. You see, some of the folks had not returned yet. say, so leave there. You have nothing to do with Babylon, with their false gods. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after glory he has sent me against the nations which plunder you. For, you uh, for he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. Remember that. These are the dear people of God. They're the apple of his eye. the very precious people of God. He says, return from there. What does he call them to do? Repent and start rebuilding the city. Chapter 1, verse 17. He says this again, proclaim saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Folks, if you're a New Testament, I mean, an Old Testament Christian or Old Testament believer, and you're sitting in the city of Babylon and you hear this from God, He's given you a guarantee. Come back. I'm going to comfort you. Have you ever been there, folks? When you know that the out from your sin is to go back to God and you continue to move towards your sin instead of moving towards God, that's what he's basically saying. You know, Matthew 18 says, cut off the hand, plug out the eye, cut off the foot. Because God hates sin, he doesn't want you to continue in that sin. Do whatever it takes. And I don't mean we need pirates walking around here next week. Deal with it. Deal with it. Rebuilding the city, we see in chapter 2, verse 4. And he said to him, run, speak to that young man, saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. Assurance after assurance after assurance, God is going to take care of them. Assurance after assurance that God's going to take care of you. As a New Testament believer. He's going to do that. And then, of course, the last thing in this repentance and the returning is going to do is the rebuilding of the temple. We see that in 116. And it says, therefore, thus says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. He's giving them such assurance of what he's going to do for them, of how much that he he loves them. Folks, I hope you try to comprehend this week how much God really loves you, and it's not because of your self-esteem. It's not because you're good. It's in spite of you that he loves you. It's in spite of you that he loves you. I do know about you. It gives me chills that he could love me like that, knowing that I'm a sinner, knowing that I'm a sinner. Well, here we are, chapter 5, the sixth vision. Um, This is our text for today, and so why don't I read through the whole thing? Zechariah chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. It's not not a long section, but I just want to read through it and listen closely. Then I lifted up my eyes again and looked. And behold, there was a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits, and it's with 10 cubits. Then he said to me, this is the curse that is going forth over the face of the whole land. Surely everyone who steals will be purged away, according to the writing on one side, and everyone who swears will be purged away, according to the writing on the other side. I will make it go forth declares the Lord of hosts and it will enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name and it will spend the night within that house and consume it with its timber and stones. It's going to abide there for the night and it's going to consume everything. Uh, What a picture. We're we're going to talk about Joel Osteen's favorite subject, sin, Uh, not not. That's what we're talking about here today. This is the subject of sin, to remember what sin does, how destructive it is. And we see what happens to people who remain in sin. This vision indicates that Yahweh will bring destruction on the ungodly. We look around this world. You, You turn on the news and you see sin, you you look at uh, the the people in the world and you see sin, you, oh, wait a minute, you can look in the mirror and see sin, but for the person who's a believer, it's different, it's different, and we're going to get to that. By the way, there are two phases here to this vision, two phases to this vision that will uncover the enduring love of God and the justice of God. These two visions, these two phases of this vision, the, will uncover the enduring love of God and the justice of God. The first phase is this. It's the scene of the vision. He, he's sort of setting the, 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 how you see this vision, the, the, the setting of this vision. And we see that in verses 1 and 2. So first is the scene of the vision. And he starts off in verse 1. Then I lifted up my eyes again and looked. What did he see? It says there that he saw a flying scroll. Folks, I, I want you to know that's not something that you see every day, okay? You may be at the beach or at a golf tournament or something, and you see this airplane going over there with a, with a banner, okay? This is a flying scroll before airplanes and before golf, too, he identified this object immediately because Zechariah had seen scrolls. If he's a reader of the scriptures, he's reading the scripture off of a scroll. He's familiar with them, so he knows what it looks like. Scrolls were used by God previously in the Old Testament as a means of communication. In Jeremiah chapter 36, he used the word scroll 14 times. In Ezekiel 1 through 3, he used that word four times. Every time the word is used, it is used for judgment. It is used for judgment. Judgment on the disobedient. You continue to disobey. You continue to do what you do. Without thought of God, without uh, uh, repentance, he's going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. You get to Matthew chapter 7, and, and, and you hear those words, I, I never knew you. I, I, that's a scary, scary thought for me. I, we even had this situation where a, a fairly famous pastor just started to deconstruct his belief in Christ, deconstruct his belief in the Bible, his marriage. And you go, What? How do, you, how do you do that? If you read this thing, and, and I was having a conversation with Carlos, how can you read this and not see God all over it? How can you live your life and not see God involved in it? I, to me, just—I I was just baffled by it, completely baffled by it. But the scroll is written for judgment and for the obedient. Those who are obedient, it should be a word of encouragement and it should be a word of blessing. Who is the he here? We see that in verse 2, it says, and and he said to me, and then we see again in verse 3, he says, then he said to me, the he here is not identified explicitly in those two verses. But in verse 5, we go a little bit further ahead, we're not going to get there. And it says this, then the angel who was speaking with me tells us who the he is. It's the angel. The conclusion is it's the he here is the angel. Zachariah sees this flying scroll and he describes it in verse 2. I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width is 10 cubits. Folks, the measurement was from the elbow to the hand. If you put Carl's arm up here, my arm up here, I think he would be a little longer. But that's about what it would be. Okay, it's generally about 18 inches. So with those kinds of measurements, the terms here, the the measurement terms that we have here is about 33 feet by 16 and a half feet. Now, some people said 30 by 15, uh, okay, whatever it is, but it's somewhere around 33 feet by 16 and a half feet up in the sky. Those are the dimensions of this scroll. The scroll was unfurled. In other words, it was unwrapped. It wasn't in the the tight bind that they normally are found because it was open to view because you could see what was on it. And again, it sounds like one of those advertising banners. That's what it looks like, sounds like. One commentator called this scroll, listen to this, a gargantuan size. He was overcome by the size of this, because it is pretty incredible when you think the scrolls are mostly about this size, small. Writing was on the back. Writing was on the front. When for a scroll, the writing was usually on one side only. Since the scroll was flying through the air, the writing to be seen, okay, must have been very large writing. It wasn't a you know, the mini script that some people have. So it had to be of a very large size. Speculation, of course, is much speculation. As to why the scroll is so large, abound. One of the more curious of the speculations is that the measurements are the exact same uh, dimensions of the vestibule of the temple. And so, oh, the this, this scroll must be something in regards to the temple, I, I don't know. I, I can't see the connection. But that's what some folks were saying. Some have speculated the mansions are the same as the average house in Judah. That it was about the same size of most of the homes that were in Judah. Therefore, when the judgment comes, the scroll is able to be extended to every part of the home and destroy it completely because that's what this judgment is saying. It's going to destroy the home completely. Not like this room, some of it's still left. (laughs) The prophet Zechariah sees this flying scroll. It represents something, folks. It truly represents the power of God, because this is so unusual. This is is not something you just see all the time. It's the power of God to reveal sin as well. You see, our God is omniscient, And he can bring sin to the eyes of all when he so desires. I think of the pastors that have fallen morally. Moral matters. And those pastors that have been immoral have their sin exposed, and then everybody hears about it. And it doesn't matter who you are. When I was in seminary, I was still in sales, and I'd be going to my customers. And we had two pastors fall. Jim Baker, which you know, we could see what would happen there. And We had um, Jimmy Swaggart. He, he fell. But then there was a Mike Kukoros. And he was a conservative Bible teaching pastor. And my customers said, oh, so you want to be like them, huh? Because I had already told them I'm going to be a pastor. That I'm studying in seminary. No, no. That's the warning for me. To run Faster than they did. But they fell morally. That's the warning that's here. Verse 3 says, the angel then explains what the scroll says. And he says this, This is the curse that is going forth over the face of the whole land. Surely everyone who steals will be purged away according to the writing on one side, and everyone who swears will be purged away according to the writing on the other side. You sit there and you go, What? Why those sins, they, they seem so minuscule, unimportant. I mean, everybody swears, right? You get caught off on, cut off on the freeway, you swear. You, you have somebody not treat you the way you want to be treated, you swear. As a matter of fact, I was in a place where there's a lot of young people, they were teenagers, and I didn't know that they knew any words that weren't swear words. I mean, I was like, every other word out of their mouth. And I'm going, what? They were not Christians. They were not at our camp or anything like that. But I happened to hear these things. I'm going, wait a minute. Don't they know how to speak English? They only know how to speak swear words? Evil offends a holy God, folks. Evil offends a holy God. And he is going to deal with it. He is not going to allow it to continue. The second phase that uncovers the enduring love and justice of God is found here in verse 3, the sentence. The sentence for the Hebrew people is that those who sin in this way will be purged, whether stealing or swearing. And we know what that word means. It's, it's to get rid of. It's I wish I could purge this flies that come in my house. I wish I could purge the mosquitoes. I wish I could purge, you know, all of those little critters that are all over the place. No, he's going to purge every single stinking sinner. That's what he's going to do. That's unrepentant. That's unrepentant. The angel does not wait for Zachariah to ask the question. He's not going to wait for him to ask the question. As to the reason or the purpose for the scroll, the use of a curse indicates that the covenant agreement between God and his people has been broken. You see, there was a covenant between God's people and God. And you remember the Ten Commandments that we see back in Deuteronomy? Well, let me take you to Leviticus because it's repeated over and over and over again. Leviticus 19. This is part of the sin that's going to be dealt with by God. And Leviticus 19, verses 11 and 12 says this, You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. You shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. This, this was told to the Hebrew people over and over and over again. They were not to steal, and they were not to... Swear, make a promise that they couldn't keep. Swear, and words that were unholy. Verse 3, go back to Zechariah. And it says there, this is the curse. This flying scroll (laughs) begins to suggest that, that the nation, all the earth, is under God's judgment. Folks, no sin will be ignored. No sin will be ignored. Verse 3, this is the curse that is going forth over the face of the whole land. Only Yahweh can send forth such a curse. Only God can judge the whole earth. This curse enters the house, listen to this, of every of every liar friends God will destroy the unrepentant sinner I, it's scary folks it's scary why is it so important for Israel to keep the covenant because if they don't they will be purged remember sitting in a coffee shop called Tom Tom who is in uh, Seoul Korea we're on the fourth floor I'm with Sang Kim and and I'm looking down at all these people running around and I said to Sang this looks like New York City I mean I look just like New York you know people running here there I said Sang most of these people are going to hell that's what's happening most of those people are going to hell because they don't know God they don't know that one true God Folks, look around your neighborhood. Most of those people are going to hell. Is that not scary for us? Do do we not have a heart of compassion to see that they would know Jesus Christ? Absolutely. We we better have that. We ought to have that. These people are running hither and thither, and they're running all over the place, and they're getting things done, and, and they may be even making a name for themselves, but they're going to hell. Folks, let's look at Malachi chapter 3. That's to the right, last book of the Old Testament. And uh, I I was reading through this this week. It's not exactly with this passage, but I think it's going to give you an idea of the covenant people of God and how God handles them. And let's start in chapter 3, verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Is that not a warning? Uh, You you become a New Testament believer, right away you're supposed to turn from your sin. Now, do you do that completely? No, I know you don't. But that's what's supposed to be happening. It's supposed to be trying to turn. I I say some people can turn on a dime and some people are 18-wheelers and it takes them a while. Okay? So put your foot on the and move, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? I mean, like they're out to lunch here. Will a man rob God? You are, yet you are robbing me, but you say, How? Have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? They're they're putting that out there. Oh, we're keeping money back from you. Look, if you're a New Testament, uh, an Old Testament believer, you made a promise when you became one of how much you give. And if you're not giving it, then you're robbing from God. If you made a promise, then you better fulfill that promise. It's not the same thing in the New Testament, but I wanted you to just see the implications here When you go against God, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this way, says the Lord of hosts. If I will open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will there... Your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. You do what I say, and you will be blessed. You know, this is where the prosperity gospel goes wrong. They say that if you do these things, you're going to get a blessing of money or the blessing of something else. Folks, how about blessing of a relationship with the king of kings and the Lord of lords? How about having something that, that you, can call, you can call upon him at all times? And he's there to listen for you. Verse 13, your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, What have we spoken against you? You have said, It is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Is that scary? Is that scary? I I can't imagine being Josh Harris today. Today's Sunday. Today's the day you would go and worship God. He's not going to do that. He in vain is going to stay away from him because he's no longer a committed Christian. So now we call the arrogant blessed, not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord gave attention and heard it and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. You want esteem? This is the esteem we need to have. Christ esteem. Christ esteem. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day, I prepared my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. Folks, be servers of God. That's why you do what you do here at Grace Community Church. That's why I see and hear and watch and I see folks all the time serving. You're serving him. You're not serving us. You're not serving me. You serve God. When you became a New Testament believer, you said he is now in control of your life. Show it. Show it. Friends, if I could put it this way, We are to obey every jot and tittle, okay? Every little thing of God's commandments. Otherwise, we will incur divine displeasure. But this question comes to my mind. It it, it just, it's it's there. When I interact with the scripture, I'm always asking questions. Why would God only pick these two sins for judgment? Why would he highlight these two, underline them, put them in bold? When you look at the Ten Commandments, there are... (laughs) These two are really not that prominent of the sins. To love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul seems to be something that I would put up there. However, folks, I believe these two are the easiest of sins easiest of sins to get involved in to let our mouth become a toilet promises and not fulfilling them and i believe that is why god has chosen these sins they're chosen also because these are the sins that are most prominent in the community that was there in jerusalem at the time these are the ones that were most prominent these two sins or, or crimes, let's call them that, mentioned for judgment are representative of all the rest. How are they representative? Well, stealing is a crime against one's neighbor, right? It's the eighth commandment. We see that in Exodus 20, 15. You don't need to turn there. Swearing falsely is a crime against God himself and is the third commandment. We see that in Exodus 20, verse 7. Each of these commandments are found on, guess what? <laughs> two different sides of the mosaic tablets. Two different sides. Now they are found on the two different sides of the scroll as well. And Does that mean that that's what God was doing? I don't know. One of the things I will be asking him, I'm making a list right now, going to take it to heaven and want to ask him, Did that, is that why you wrote that? I don't know. There's another reason that these crimes, these sins are mentioned, and that is because they are impacting this post-exilic community. They're impacting the people of God there. Now, friends, I want to pull the tour bus over here for a little while. I know we're going through this, and we're going through it pretty quick, but I want to pull this to the side here. Our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, went to the cross, As John the Baptist said, he went there to take away sin. As New Testament believers, he does that for us, praise God. Friends, that means he took the sins of the pre-exilic and the post-exilic Jew as well. Those sins were taken care of by Jesus. The stripes on his back were for the Jew and for the Gentile who come to him in repentance, those who return and come to him. God does not want us to sin. He wants us, ladies and gentlemen, to see the cost of our sin. And the cost of our sin is the blood of Christ. The one who cheats on a test does not return the right change in the store when they're given too much money is doing the exact thing that God is speaking about here. Years ago, when... um, Oh, my, it's all the way back in New York when I lived there. I had a friend who was part of Weights and Measures. And he used to go into stores to check up on their balances there uh, of what uh, they did. You know, you go in, and you buy three pounds of uh, chicken, and you put it on, the, and they weigh it. Guess what? Sometimes it's not three pounds, it's 2.8, 2.7. And that store is cheating everybody. Okay, and then he told me once, he says, you go to a gas station, sometimes it says $1.99. Anybody ever see (laughs) $1.99? Back then it was 27 cents, I think. (laughs) He says, sometimes they cheat you there too. Because if you add it up and you do the mathematics, they're cheating you. They're getting more money than they're giving you gas. That happens all the time, folks. And if you didn't know that, that, then you, you, you need to be aware of it. You know, you've ever walked in a grocery store and it says, this here costs $1.99, but today it's 99 cents. You go to the front and uh, guess what? They charge you a $1.99 because the front of the store doesn't know what the back of the store did, you know? And you go, wait a minute, that's a buck out of my pocket. Yeah. Cheating was going on in the Jewish community. They would be buying their goods from one of the storekeepers and they were getting cheated when it said, you know, you got a a full bushel of this. No, they weren't getting a full bushel. And that's what's going on here. They were cheating their own people. Some people try to cheat back. They try to cheat on their taxes. They try to break the law in various ways. Folks, That's the same thing that's being spoken of here. Yes, God forgives the believer, those who have repented. But folks, those who have truly repented, truly dealt with their sin, that's who God forgives. Friends, that does not mean that you can go on sinning, claiming you are a believer and not looking like a believer gentleman came to me, got some time here, a few years ago, said that he committed a crime in New Jersey. And he said, um, if I go back to New Jersey, there's a bench warrant out for me and, and I'll be put in jail. And so uh, I want to go back to New Jersey because I have my family there, uh, mother, father, something like that. And I says, well, I, I just make a suggestion. Go back, but first go to the judge and present yourself before the judge and tell him, you know what? I did this and I was wrong and I've come here to place myself under your mercy. Do you know, I didn't know it was going to happen. He did that. Went back before the judge and the judge said, "Am I 30 years on the bench, I've never had anybody ever do this before. Not guilty and let him go. That's what God does for us. That's what God does for us. You go before him, you tell him, and you don't do it again. And you don't do it again. And you don't do it again. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. I love Paul talking about the law, Romans chapter 5. And he says, this law came in so that the transgression would increase. What? Yeah, the law is there to show us that we're incapable of keeping the law. We are incapable. That's why, folks, if you're going to come and get counseling from me, I'm going to have you read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. That's the law. That's, that's God's law. Listen to it, and then see where you've come up short, and these are the things you need to work on. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, that the law would, the, the transgression would increase, but where sin increased grace abounded all the more isn't that great isn't that great God continues to give us grace he continues to forgive us over and over and over again and you know what he even promises not to remember it anymore Uh, Isaiah 43 25 he promises not to remember it huh wow Isaiah 43, 25 also tells us why he forgives sin. He forgives sin because he receives glory. I will not remember their sins anymore. Anyway, let's go back to, I'm all over the place here, but sorry. Verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse six, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? No, That's, that's the most negative negative you could possibly have in the New Testament. No, in verse two there, may it never be. How shall we who've died to sin still live in it? Folks, if we've truly died to sin, we are not to live in it anymore. We are to run from it. We are to run from it. The post-exilic Jews are being called to covenant obedience. That's what's happening here for Zechariah. He's calling them to obedience. A restored temple most certainly needed to be accompanied by a restored lifestyle. The Jews needed to really look like covenant-keeping Jews and not just fakes. I don't know if you've ever been in a church where there are a bunch of fakes. Yeah, I have. I've seen it. It's abhorrent. It's abhorrent. You can see that there are a bunch of fakes. Well, not all of them but most of them. Sin was dealt with at the cross, folks, and it will be dealt with in eternity. The holiness of God is to be reflected in the holiness of his people. The revealing of sin brings judgment of God because he deals with the guilt and with the consequences of our sin. Verse 4, I need to move on, otherwise we'll never get finished. I will, uh, this is um, Zechariah chapter five, verse four. And, And yes, I need to deal with it. God deals with it here. And I make it go forth, declares the Lord of hosts, and it will enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. And it will spend the night within the house and consume it with its timber and stones. What is God going to make go forth? Folks, his curse. His curse. His curse is going to go forth against sin. There is no doubt about God's following up. It is not like the parent who says, if you do that again, I will do this. No, no. Yeah, yeah I've heard those parents. This is about the third or fourth time they said, if you do it again, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. And the Kid knows. It's the fifth time that the parents are actually going to do something. no. He, there's no doubt here. he doesn't threaten. He takes care of. He deals with it. God has a GPS system, unlike other GPS systems. My GPS system failed me yesterday. He told me to' go to this place, and guess what? I was about a block and a half off. I don't know why it did that, but it was a block and a half off. You see, God's GPS system is like a heat-seeking missile. It never misses. Listen to this, just jot it down, Ecclesiastes 12, 14. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Every act to judgment. He's not going to miss anything. Man cannot escape God. Man cannot escape God. Your sin will find you out. Many would think they could hide. But I can hide in my house. God's not going to see it. Nobody's looking. Nobody can see my TV. Nobody can see my computer. <laughs> I can hide in here. Five, four, And it will spend the night within the house and consume it with its timber and stones. It says it's going to consume the whole house, folks. That's what God is going to do. He's going to bring the curse in there. And I I love Charles Feinberg. I love reading Charles Feinberg. He said this, Sin is an intensely personal thing. And God's visitation upon it is equally personal. The spending the night means to abide or remain permanently. Friends, God's word goes forth in judgment. And it will not be delayed. It will not be inhibited. Isaiah fifty-five eleven says this. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter of which I send it. Folks, the word of God is our warning. It's our warning. Yet men and women like to close their ears and close their eyes and close their mouths. I had somebody bring back some little monkeys with that to green. Yeah. Because they want to continue in their pleasure. Continue in your pleasure and you may have a visitation unlike any other visitation. It says here in 5.4, and consume it with its timber and stones. God's going to deal with sin. You see, folks, in a sense, God's holiness demands that he's going to deal with it one way or another. He's either going to deal with it by the grace of God and Jesus Christ covering your sin because you've repented of your sin, or he's going to deal with it because you are not His and you keep giving him the Heisman. No, leave me alone. Leave me alone. I want to keep doing what I want to do. Persistent wickedness. There's judgment. That's what this um, vision is telling Zechariah. And he's pleading with his people, pleading with them. Sin, iniquity, and transgression must be stamped out. For those who persist in their sin, God will judge. And they become an object of his curse. Folks, we've seen two phases to this sixth vision here. To uncover the enduring love of God and the justice of God. Folks, make sure that you truly have dealt with your sin and that you are walking in holiness. First uh, Peter 1.16, you be holy for he is holy. Let's pray. Father God, just thinking about this makes me think of those who are walking in darkness that need to know about you. And, and there may even be someone here, Lord. I pray that they would repent. I pray that they would come to you, Lord. They would be looking for forgiveness of sins and, and know, Lord, that their iniquity has been taken care of by Jesus Christ at the cross. I pray that they would beg for that, Lord. You are a good God and you take us. You say in Matthew ten twenty eight, come to me, all you are a burden. Father... Forgive them. May they come to you. May they run to you. Pray this in your name. Amen.